Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 148. Okay, guys. A lot of Alex news on our Trello board today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So our, our dear Alex Robinson, you were in the heart of the beast last week. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the heart of Google. Yeah, yeah. so uh, we got invited to join the agency program with Google uh, and uh, had an event last week, uh, cover a few topics, one being Flutter. So I got uh, a pretty good introduction to Flutter. Uh, you know, I w will say of the cross-platform solutions, it's probably one of the more intriguing at the moment, in large part because instead of a third-party vendor chasing two very large, fast-moving vendors, it's Google. Um, and often the platform that gets neglected the most by the cross-platform solutions is Android. So I, not to say it's the solution or, or necessarily one that, that I would recommend for every client, but it has some promise. So just to be clear, there were no blood sacrifices or farm animals or anything involved in this meetup thing, right? As far as I know, there's a there's a period of time I don't remember, but other than that, <laughs> yeah, everything that, was above board. Are you just is that the non disclosure agreement? You're not allowed to talk about that stuff. <laughs> He's wearing a flutter shirt today. <laughs> I am. Yeah. I got the free the free swag, so and it's a nice shirt, so why not? Sure. They actually have pretty nice shirts. I like my Firebase one. Yeah. If there's any other Google listeners out there, please send us shirts. So why why do you want to be a uh what what did you call it? A Google It's a developer agency partner. Agency partner. What what's yeah. what's good about that? Uh, we get uh, insight into some of the things that are coming, get invited to some special events and potentially some some uh, prioritized support if we are using their technology. You know, it's something that I really wish Apple would do, um, but Apple doesn't have any publicly uh, accessible partner program. Um, there is a, a uh, secret partner program, apparently. Um, I was gonna say they do have one. They're just not very it, public about it. Yeah, uh, for a long time it wasn't discussed externally. Um, there's been some comments about. It. I think it's called MPP, but it's uh yeah. There's no formal process or easy way to get into it. Google, and Google's group is a little exclusive as well, but um, at least they have a whole website dedicated to explain what it is and and the uh, process for getting in. Yeah, they say when you're number two, you try harder, right? Number one, you kind of get soft and wait for somebody to come and knock you off your perch. I think it's the uh, more the, so the demand. Uh, Apple doesn't, you know, whether it's a product announcement or, or, um, or developer program, they get more interest than they can handle, so... They, uh, yeah, you wait in lines. 
and and you you often pay you know if i went to an apple event i don't think i'd get a free shirt i think i'd pay 25 dollars <laughs> for it and i have many times yeah they just open up the company store for you yeah uh might be a 40 dollars shirt you don't know yeah but you know it's you know there's a reason apple uh continues to grow they i i don't necessarily know what the secret sauce is in terms of you know, pretty much everything they put out is does really well. Yeah, generally so. We can always argue that Apple is not the same since Steve Jobs passed, but they're still going strong. They're first trillion dollar company. Which, yeah. I mean, it's just a big number in a lot of ways, but oh, you know, they're they're. Probably they've probably been at this point for a while, but they basically are you know which country they could buy an entire country or two. Yeah. So it's it's, it's interesting a, to note that they've been doing this. Also, they became a trillion dollar company while also executing stock buybacks, which they which means they would have been a trillion dollar company a lot earlier. Had they not bought some of the, much of their stock back, but we're not an investing podcast. So <laughs> don't want to give anybody any advice on this one. But yeah. yeah, it's definitely a big number considering that they're primarily a phone company. Well, they're moving more and more. Of their business is moving to services. Um, you know, if you listen to the quarterly calls, and I don't every time, but it's. Uh, that that percentage that is coming from things like Apple Music and the App Store and so on and so forth uh, is growing, and, and is may have already passed revenue from phones. I'm not sure where it is currently, but um, that makes me a little bit nervous that you know they'll start emphasizing the services over hardware. That's just because you remember Mobile Me. So I found mm -hmm. this. I found this article that's the uh, most valuable companies of all time, kind of inflation-adjusted uh, company values. So can you think of any that at their peak were higher than Apple? Uh, pretty sure they're the first. I think that was well, in, uh, inflation-adjusted oh, trillion-dollar oh. companies. Yeah, I don't know. So we're talking like maybe a GE or. General Motors. No, those were all like back. in the like hundreds of billions of dollars inflation adjusted. But according to this article, so I mean, you can take it with a grain of salt. But back in 1637, at the height of the tulip mania, in uh -oh. six, the Dutch East India Company was was worth seven point nine trillion dollars inflation adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> we all know what happened there. The Mississippi Company in 17th. I have no clue. The bubble, I think, popped on the tulip mania. Basically, just like Bitcoin, yeah, just, it was just tulips this time. They went out of style and boom. It looks like Standard Oil in 1900 was a trillion dollars. PetroChina in 2007. Some other companies I haven't heard of from the 1700s. So Apple's pretty big company right now, but yeah, they're... it's kind of cool that they're trillion dollars. Mm -hmm. So according to uh, one article I found, revenue uh, from services represents 
56%, I believe. 56? Oh, man. Uh, and That's a iPhone, lot. iPhone is 22%. Then other products is 30%. I don't know what other products are. Other would include things like the watch, uh, the Apple TV. Uh, AirPods. Yeah. HomePod. I bet it's the HomePod. It's any of those things that they don't want to break down so that you know how well or how poorly it's doing until it's doing well enough for them to actually break down that number. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it may still be hundreds of millions or tens of millions, but for Apple, it's not a significant product yet. Yeah. It's interesting. I've noticed that the Apple Watch has gained in, in popularity a lot more these days. You see them around in public more often than even after the first year that they were out. Oh yeah, I was yeah. I was just on a on a cruise and like everybody had Apple watches. So it was crazy. I think part of that is people were are able to get last year's model for cheaper. Um, so it becomes more affordable. Um, but I also think some of the, for them being faster, more standalone has helped as well. I've heard the rumor, I think, is that the screen size is going to get bigger. So maybe a slight form factor change this year. I'm looking forward to that. That might make me buy a new one. Yeah. So it's basically a smaller bezel, not necessarily a bigger, bigger watch or... Not necessarily a different form factor. Yeah, who knows? But <laughs> a, a smaller bezel is. So I don't have to. I won't have to throw away all my thousand dollar bands I bought. I think you might be Apple watching wrong, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've bought a few knockoff ones. Um, they're for the most part what you pay for, or probably a little less than what you pay for. There's some decent knockoff ones out there now, but well, the ones that actually look like Apple Watch bands, like uh, the, the leather loop one that has the magnets in it or something. That one, I bought a knockoff one of those, and it pretty much came unglued within a month or so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... It happens. Probably if you were to take what I paid for it and just say, well, if I were to buy it, enough of those to last the lifetime of the watch, perhaps it would have broke even with just buying the Apple one outright, but yeah, I don't know. It's, I've, the new one I've got now just has the, the nylon strap. And it's fine. So uh, Android people had some big news this week. They got their Pi, or if you're, say, like a somebody who doesn't speak English very well and you were to read that, you might still say, think it says P, but... <laughs> so. It, I'm I'm trying to remember kind of the big features from Android P. You know, there there were a lot of things that were would be familiar to an iOS user, like some of the gestures were switching between apps, uh, you know, swiping from the bottom. The notch they got a notch feature. <laughs> you could yeah. have a software enabled notch. <laughs> well, they, the their notch at least the. I guess it's like configurable, so you can, as a uh, Android OEM, 
kind of build into your system and say how big your hardware notch is. And then you can kind of do some, as a developer, you can kind of react to the different sizes in the notch. They have a whole programming interface for it. Like a, like a region that's safe to put stuff on or? I think it tells you the, like a coordinate space of the, the notch on the screen. So you can then direct stuff to the sides. But yeah, they they uh, took on a very gesture-heavy interface. Uh, as a iPhone 10 user, you would probably be right at home with it. Maybe this is just part of their way of getting more iPhone users to switch. I don't know, but yeah, it's it's, it's very reminiscent of the 10. Um, so, what do they do with all of the uh, the buttons that they used to have? Is the back button finally gone on some Android phones? I always remember that being the giant pain in the butt having to deal with this hardware back button that you didn't have to think about that state necessarily on iOS, but you do on Android. Still have a back button, but it's usually software. Well, I know you do now, but like, have they taken up the whole screen? Because most of the time, those buttons in recent phones have been part of the LCD. Right, yeah, it's part of the LCD on most phones. They still have them, though, even with the, the gestures and the little swipey area at the bottom? Yeah, um... Seems weird. <laughs> it's it's real. It's a really small character. I'm looking at my uh, essential phone, which is one of the first third-party phones to get Android P. But it has almost as like a regular font-sized back carrot, and it's hardly noticeable at all. Ooh, they just need to get rid of that. <laughs> yeah, it was always one of those weird things when developing for Android. Um, I do know, like in the operating system, they have a number of uh, kind of machine learning features where it kind of will learn how you toy with the brightness of your phone in different lighting environments. And so it will, instead of just always adjusting to a certain light level, it will learn how you do it and then just do that for you at some point. So that's kind of interesting. It seems kind of like the serious suggestions, although they could be automatic. That's kind of cool. That's not really... Yeah, I mean, it's... Apple just brands all of their machine learning stuff as Siri, but... Right. I mean, Siri suggestions are just like, looks like you do this a bunch. Do you want to do it now? (laughs) Yeah, and in this case, like, they're just noticing that at this time of day and and in this lighting condition, you always set your brightness to this, so we're going to do that for you. Uh, Well, we got some, some new iOS goodies... As well, unless there's anything else you wanted to say about Android Pie. Um, it's it's definitely a nice evolution. It'll be nice when a lot of users can run it. You know, there's still a lot of Oreo users that are not, well, a lot of phones that aren't even on Oreo at this point. I think uh, like 14% of the phones out there are running Oreo, or some version of it. But it doesn't mean as much with Google. I know we've said this before, but they're really distributing a lot of the OS kind of outside of the OS these days. And they are rebranding what they call their support packages into this Android X package. Not only are they rebranding it, they they made a bunch of breaking changes too. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's sounds like it'll be some short term pain for some Android developers. Yeah, I've been working on a new app this past week and well 
I released an app last week for iOS. Now I'm working on the Android version, and it's been painful trying to adopt these newer things. I probably should have just done done it in a kind of the tried and true way. So what kind of iOS goodies did we get this week? Uh, it was mostly bug fixes. I think actually we had two new betas um, since our last episode was released. We were on beta four, I think, last time, and we had back to back five and six in the last two weeks. I think the one came out like, the day after we recorded, right? Yeah, prop. That's how it normally works. <laughs> yeah. We were we were we are recording late this week, so we actually got it in on time. Aha. But yeah, uh, you know how, like, back when we were talking about installing betas on your carry phone and how you shouldn't do that, uh, and then we all went ahead and did it? <laughs> <laughs> that that kind of bit me in the in the butt when I was on my cruise. So there's a, there's a cruise app where you can, like, send messages amongst the people who are on the cruise who you are with uh, that, that did not. There is a iOS 12 bug. That they would not. I was. I tried to go up and play dumb, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you're on the beta. It doesn't work." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Yeah," but the the one time I don't have like a test device with me, so I ended up carrying around like an iPad with the app on it and like pulling <laughs> it out to text message people. It was, was kind of hilarious. Um, like, is that a new Android phone? Yeah, but so yeah, the, I guess the uh, tech support when you're. Not on land is pretty bad, huh? The tech support. Well, yeah. No genius bar on the boat. Oh, yeah. Well, (laughs) and I I could have, in theory, you know, restored back to an old version, but once you get on a cruise ship, it it costs, like, $90 for, like, an hour's worth of internet or something. It's pretty ridiculous how how expensive that stuff is. So I was like, all right, I'll make do with what I have. (laughs) I'll make it work somehow. (laughs) But... Yeah, it I'm was... surprised you went anywhere <laughs> with only one phone. Well, I was trying to not do work, uh, so I didn't bring any test devices, and I just got a new backpack because I got a new computer, and the computer wouldn't fit in my old backpack. Otherwise, <laughs> I probably would have had just like a random phone sitting in the backpack, but that's that's probably what got me as well. So wait a minute. You had an older MacBook Pro, 15-inch, right? Aren't these new ones smaller than the old ones? They are thinner, but I think the width, they're wider than the twenty late 2013 that I had. Hmm. Now, that sounds weird. Yeah, well, I'm, it didn't fit. Very so. slightly. Yeah, it didn't fit, <laughs> so I got a new new backpack. Like, I could have, like, really jammed it in, but, like, at that point, like, what's the point of trying to keep it safe if you have to jam it in and every drop or whatever you do of your backpack it's going to get banged around so yeah plus you get a new backpack <laughs> <laughs> i liked my old backpack it was really nice so this one's broken not in good. yeah so what did you get for your new backpack i got a fuel i think that's how you pronounce it, it has a bunch of pockets and stuff like that um i just went to micro center and found the best one that i could find that they had i used to have a ogio backpack which i really liked it had had a few more pockets, but I was trying to get a little bit smaller backpack too, since I was getting a new one, and I haven't been traveling as much with all of my junk in my laptop or in my backpack. But I did find out that there is some threshold. You know how when you go through security, 
at the airport and they say, you know, take out your laptops, but, you know, tablets are smaller. You can keep in. There's some threshold where if you have enough electronic devices in your backpack, <laughs> they make you just run everything through. So well, like now they, <laughs> they make you take tablets out now. Not if you do the uh, um, the known traveler, the, the, the pre-check. Okay. Uh, I will tell you, it's it's worth the money. Don't have to take your shoes off. Not the, no belt <laughs> uh, removal. You don't go through the uh, the X-ray thing. So yeah. it's worth the hassle to sign up for it if you fly often. Yeah, it's very nice. And coming back, I was in started in Canada, so the pre-check did not work for that. And I had the laptop, the tablet, um, Switch. Kindle and then two uh like like larger uh external batteries for like you know your phone or your kids yeah tablets that they're always using up all the battery for so they they flagged me I was like so do I need to take my tablet out or stuff like that or just my laptop and I said oh just your laptop and then when they were running my backpack through they're like you're gonna have to take everything out <laughs> <laughs> They like pulled someone over to look at it and they're like, yeah, <laughs> we don't know I what feel, you're doing in there. <laughs> I've only come from back from Canada one time flying into the U.S. And I felt like they were more strict than they, they were when I left. I, I've, I've had the same thing happen uh, domestically before I had pre-check as well. So, but yeah, one, uh, one kind of nice thing about Canada is that they have a thing where you can go through. I think most Canadian airports, you can go through customs in Canada for the U.S. so that once you get into the U.S., if you have a flight that you have to switch, you can just skip customs since you did it in Canada. It's kind of weird, but it worked out pretty well because I had like a 40-minute layover I had to make coming back. Oh. What were you going to say? That's a pretty tight layover. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you like not working for two weeks? Did you manage to survive? Were you without email and everything? I think I paid for a little bit of data. I think... I might have like sold some stock or something, but <laughs> were you on it ambient or <laughs> no i was I was just wanted to keep up a little bit with the news because it's weird like not having internet, and I'm just not used to that. I don't know, but yeah i i I for the most part just kind of relaxed and did all the ten billion activities that were on the cruise ship and the ports, so we went to Alaska, so we got to do a lot of cool um stuff. We took a helicopter ride up to a Glacier, which was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, you gotta hike up to those things to make. No, it the helicopter was way better. <laughs> way better. You miss out on so much. Yeah. <laughs> Not that oh you well. Care. Like it's just a bunch of ice. Yeah. Speaking of getting iced, uh, <laughs> we have some more Alex news. The Alex Jones podcast, or some of them. And the the related Infowars podcasts were removed from the iTunes directory um, this week. Uh, I think I I think I saw that Marco Armin actually like removed it from Overcast, and then yeah. he had done it a while ago. And then I think Spotify and one and Stitcher followed suit. And then Apple and these are these people are just mostly removing it from the directory. You can still manually add the podcast. Yeah, because you can type in a URL or whatever. A lot of the a lot of that nuance, I think, is missed in some of the coverage. Um, but but yeah, and then a whole bunch of other companies followed suit. 
you know, with Facebook, YouTube, a bunch of other companies banning some pieces of InfoWars and Alex Jones podcast. So it, it's specifically, kind of interesting. It's, it's because of a violation of the terms of service in terms of inciting violence and uh, hateful or discriminatory speech. Um, it's not necessarily censoring what's being said. It's the, the violation oh, well, of those terms. Yeah. Uh, but the the, the, it, it the violations had been going on and I think it was kind of like no one wanted to be the first person to, uh, to remove, move, move him for the violations. Uh, and yeah. after one person did finally, then a bunch of other people followed suit. Um, yeah. So the, and and it's because it's it's a fine line between, um, you know, is it censorship or is it uh, enforcing the policies of the community? I mean, all these all these things are private companies that you know can can have rules for what goes on. Right, right. It just <laughs> it, it needs so. to be done in a balanced way. Yeah, I mean, th and, there's a lot of people talking about, oh no, free speech was violated or whatever. But private um, companies yeah. don't have those rules. Yeah, right. And I'm not talking about free speech. It's just, well, the, it, I think I'm private more censorship <laughs> based on on particular bias. So it's uh, it, it needs to be done even-handedly. Uh, Twitter historically has not. Yeah, there's uh, all yeah. sorts of problems with this stuff. But yeah, it seems like. A lot of these companies have policies and they just kind of don't do anything because they don't want to make people angry. Um, but I mean, even Apple, they they removed, you know, some InfoWars podcasts and the Alex Jones podcast. But the InfoWars um, actual app and Google Play as well, that has all of the same content, uh, you know, is still live in the App Store. So and. I, I we were looking it up before the show. Literally, the first <laughs> rule in the App Store guidelines one dot one dot one is defamatory, discriminatory, or mean spirited content uh, is not allowed in the App Store. Essentially, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. Even you know how Apple is kind of selectively enforcing it, and maybe things will have changed by our next episode. But yeah, it's it's a weird time. I think a lot of the, the big tech companies are starting to begrudgingly take some responsibility for some of their technology. I mean, Apple has been good for the most part about trying to be responsible, but there's it's, it was hard to foresee all of the consequences of all the technology that you created back in the day. On that note... <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, kind of continuing on the whole social media aspect and completely different controversy. Uh, Snapchat <laughs> had their source code leaked. Sam, <laughs> you were mentioning this. Um, you know, what's that all about? Yeah, it was some account. They had the source code. And really the only reason that people found out about this was that uh, GitHub, in the interest of transparency, Publishes publishes all of their DMC DMCA takedown notices so that people can see if things are being applied fairly and correctly or not. 
And apparently that there was one from Snapchat urgently asking them to take down this one user's uh, repo because it had their source code in it. Uh, don't really know much about it beyond that, other than supposedly this guy who posted it had tried to contact Snapchat about a security vulnerability. I guess that's a huge vulnerability. Uh, and they didn't listen to him. I don't know. Even though Snapchat participates in these uh, bug bounty websites and they've paid out a couple hundred thousand dollars for people that have found bugs in their software. So, I don't know. I guess their code's out there. It would be... I didn't have to go into such a, a seedy part of the web to try and find it. I'd be curious just to see it and code review it. Who knows how good or how bad it actually is, but that would definitely be a uh, copyright violation to be in possession of that code. So not recommending it at all. Just like we're not a stock buying podcast, we're not uh, recommending you do anything that would get you in trouble. So, uh, yeah, and that kind of uh, builds on some other news from Snapchat. In, that, in their quarterly update, they lost 3 million daily users, uh, and they contributed that to a redesign of the app, uh, which is interesting that that would ha have such a big impact. I don't know what their typical daily user count is, but 3 million seems like a, a decent number. I mean, I, I would assume they have hundreds of millions of users would be my guess. But I mean, that's still a pretty substantial chunk of of usage. Although, I mean, as someone who makes apps and sometimes will change things like that's the most type of like hate mail and complaints that you ever get is, oh, no, you changed something. And, you know, Snapchat's on a whole other scale. I mean, you had Kardashians complaining, you had all these famous people, and it it affected their company. It's Yeah, big time. They're, they're a company that has one product that is really beholden to the fashion whims of teenagers for the most part. So well, if, they don't, yeah. if they don't hold that audience, they're not a company anymore. So how do you guys feel about redesigns? Like, what, what would prompt you to do a redesign on apps? Like, you just wait until something seems really dated, or do you just try to shake things up every once in a while? Or, <laughs> or maybe really you, you switch to a new tech stack? I don't know. <laughs> I think it really depends on the particular project. Um, yeah. A lot of it gets influenced by the platform design language, uh, you know, even with this latest update to material design from Google, you know, that's going to inspire changes. You know, you, we might see less of the, uh, the bright color headers and more, more, uh, apps that look like iOS apps with the, you know, mostly white, uh, with accents of, of the brand color. So I'll, that's a big factor. You know, iOS 7 was the last kind of big change for Apple in terms of the, the design language. Uh, there's a good chance we'll see a major revision of that next year. So yeah, I guess the short answer for me, it's, it's usually tied to 
Apple or Google, um, but also if we're doing any major updates to the app, that's usually a good time to consider uh, refreshing the design. Now, if you're a company like Facebook, you know, you could easily complain about the, you know, I've seen plenty of redesigns and suggestions for improvement, but, you know, they A-B test everything, you know, color changes, button sizes. Um, they have a rationale for for their design decisions, and, you know, they, they are very cautious about changes. Yeah, with them, pretty much everything is some kind of experiment. It's surprising that Snapchat didn't go through something like that, or that if they did, they just pushed through and ignored their users. I mean, sometimes, you know, there's the, I'm pretty sure it's a famous Steve Jobs quote, like, that you, just along the lines of, you don't always know, users don't always really know what they want. They may tell you they want this, but really they want, you know, the problem that that could solve fixed, and there may be a different way to do it entirely. Um, yeah. Apple yeah. was somewhat infamous for not doing a lot of user testing because they did not feel, you know, to some degree it's like designed by committee. And you might not end up with that revolutionary new experience. It's just going to be, you know, you're going to probably end up with something that's familiar. I mean, I think the Reddit website has gone through something recently where they have a big new redesign and there's like factions of people who hate the new redesign or or like have embraced the new redesign and stuff like that. And now there's like an option where you can switch back and forth. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, when you start designing by committee, eventually people complain about thing and you've got all these options to configure it the way they want and it just becomes an unmanageable mess of things. Yeah, I guess in some ways you don't want to mess with success, uh, but other ways you still have to keep your stuff fresh. And you know, if hamburger menus are all the rage and you don't have a hamburger menu, then your app feels dated and ugly. And then when hamburger menus fall out of style, as they did, and if you still have a hamburger menu, then you know it's time to update. People want to still be using something that is getting updates and is being maintained by developers. They don't want to move to something that feels abandoned, right? So you still have to keep current with things. May or may not cause redesigns, but maybe just evolutions of design. And that's hard. One thing I would say, and I think we can all agree on, is that if you're going to redesign your app, do your whole app. Don't just do a couple of screens and move on because that's all you had time for. I've been in that kind of situation before. It's pretty painful when half your app looks one way and another piece of it looks a slightly newer way and then a slightly newer, newer way and another piece. And your users are just going to get lost and frustrated if you're not speaking a consistent design language to them. So I guess that's enough ranting for the night. Uh, do you guys want to tell us where we can find you on the internet? You can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter. I'm at Alex Argo. And I'm at Sam Quarter. The podcast is at Shared Inst. And come on and join our Slack chat. You can uh, tell us about your app horror stories. And the, you can get an invite at 
chat.sharedinstance.com.